Thanks to this season's presenting sponsor, Kohler. They design innovative sinks and faucets for people who do their best work in the kitchen. Picture a courtroom. It's 1961 in Washington, D.C., and the place is packed with government regulators and orange juice producers. There were basically a bunch of men holding these hearings. Alyssa Hamilton wrote a book called Squeezed, What You Don't Know About Orange Juice. She spent months poring over 3,000 pages of transcripts from these hearings. The idea of the hearings was to establish certain industry standards, what producers could do to the juice when they were making it, and how they were allowed to advertise it. As they bantered about the ins and outs of juice production, Alyssa noticed something strange. The consumer was continually referred to as Mrs. Housewife. Actually, the entire conversation was based on what these gentlemen thought Mrs. Housewife knew or didn't know about her orange juice. In one particular exchange between an FDA lawyer and a representative from Sunkist, they argue whether Mrs. Housewife knows or cares that packaged juice is different from fresh squeezed. The FDA guy asks... When the housewife takes from the refrigerator a can of concentrated orange juice, reconstitutes it, and puts it on the table, what do you think she tells her family this is? And the sun-kissed guy replies... Orange juice. But does she know it's a different product from the one she might squeeze from an orange? You mean when she goes to the sink and adds water to a six-ounce can of concentrate, she doesn't think she is getting something different from what she might draw out of an orange? I I don't think it particularly concerns her one way or the other. The Sunkist representative says Mrs. Housewife doesn't care whether or not it's fresh squeezed. It's all juice to her. Then a man from Minute Maid takes the stand. The FDA guy asks, why doesn't the Minute Maid label tell consumers this is a processed product? Why Why is is it it just just labeled labeled chilled? Wouldn't it be just as good to refer to juice as pasteurized? No. The fact it has been heat-treated to some extent doesn't seem to me to be of material interest to the consumer. Now, again, Mrs. Housewife doesn't need to know it's pasteurized because she doesn't care. When Tropicana takes the stand, the government inspectors read the label aloud. Tropicana 100% pure orange juice is squeezed from prime, tree-ripened Florida oranges at our Cocoa, Florida plant, located in the Indian River section. And their point is, if the label includes all these flowery details, why not the most important one? Any reason why you can't add that the product has been frozen, stored for extensive periods of time, and thawed? Yes, practical reason. The average consumer believes a product which is declared as frozen orange juice to be made from concentrated orange juice. We don't want to put anything on the label that would give the housewife the impression that the product is made from concentrated orange juice. You feel a truthful statement would mislead the consumer? I'm quite sure it would. The industry's argument was any of this kind of informative labeling would confuse the consumer. She didn't need to know it. She didn't understand it. And it was actually a lot of circular reasoning. So if you write words like reconstituted or pasteurized on the label, she won't understand it. And because she won't understand it, why would they need to write it on the package? Literally, that's the kind of arguing that they're going through in 3,000 pages. (laughs) 
This idea of the consumer as an uninformed, uninterested Mrs. Housewife, it's the reason we know so little about the history of orange juice to this very day. But there is a lot to know about how the stuff in the cartons got so far from the original orange. From America's Test Kitchen, I'm Bridget Lancaster, and this is Proof. Hey, Proof listeners, it's Bridget, and I want to tell you about something I think you're going to love. It's NakedWines.com. They bring delicious, affordable wines straight from independent winemakers directly to your home. Unlike the big wine retailers, NakedWines.com is a customer-funded wine business. With the help of the more than 100,000-member Angel community, NakedWines.com supports independent winemakers to make their passion projects. And you can become an angel, too, with a monthly membership so you can support independent winemakers and get access to delicious, exclusive wines in return. Go to NakedWines.com proof for $50 off your first order. Reporter Julia Press brings us this story. When I started looking into orange juice, I was shocked to discover this whole crazy history of how it became what it is today. And I realized the reason I didn't know that story is actually by design. It all starts back at the birth of the juice itself with a group called the Florida Citrus Exchange. Yeah, it's complicated. There are many different organizations in Florida that develop to support farmers. So actually, I'll take one step back. When Alyssa Hamilton was writing her book about orange juice, she got steeped in the industry's many nuances. But all you need to know is that citrus has been an important part of Florida's economy for many, many years. So there are all these groups that formed to help farmers with things like research and marketing and pricing. And back around the turn of the 20th century, those orange growers had a problem. They were growing more oranges than they could sell. So rather than growing fewer oranges, they thought... What a great idea to have consumers juice their oranges, because that way, of course, you would consume more if you juice them rather than eat them whole. But juicing oranges was time-consuming. The growers needed a way to make juicing the norm. So they started sending out these juice extractors to homes across America. This is the orange juice origin story. It's literally a marketing scheme in a glass. And it worked. People started buying Florida oranges and squeezing them fresh for breakfast. But at the time, orange juice was still considered a luxury because you could only get fresh fruit to juice a few months out of the year. To take OJ to the next level, the industry needed to figure out how to get people to buy it year-round. And their solution was orange juice concentrate. It had a reputation for tasting like battery acid. It was basically boiled down juice, cooked in a vacuum until the water had evaporated. What was left was a thick, sticky goo, which they canned and then froze. The next challenge for citrus growers was finding a way to make this gunk taste better. So they rounded up a team of scientists through a newly formed Florida Department of Citrus to start tinkering. And by the 1940s, those researchers had a breakthrough. They realized that all they had to do was add a splash of fresh orange juice called cutback to the sticky concentrate. That gave it the flavor and color of fresh juice, which they could then freeze, can, and sell. Then people would just add water, and voila, fresh-tasting juice. 
This was a huge innovation for the citrus industry, and it was a lifesaver for a guy named Jack Fox, because in 1945, he found himself in charge of an orange juice company that had just lost its only client. Dad was a charming guy. He's a very charming guy. This is Jack Fox's eldest son, Blitz. And even at 81 years old, Blitz still talks about his dad like he's his hero. He told me story after story of what he learned from him about creativity and resilience. Dad said, well, figure it out. What's the problem? And owning up to your mistakes. And I thought to myself, that's how you end discussions. And how to work the room at a cocktail party. And my mother would wryly say, oh, he's off spreading charm. In the 1940s, Jack Fox had been working at a place called National Research Corporation. You know, it's kind of a high-tech think tank coming up with stuff uh, contributing to the war effort at the time. We are in the possession of new foods, new methods of preparation, which make mankind independent of distance and climate. National Research was experimenting with vacuum technology, churning out things like penicillin and freeze-dried food for troops' rations. And in 1944, Fox convinced his bosses to lock down a contract to supply the army with powdered orange juice, 500,000 pounds of it. It was spring of 1945 when the Army quartermaster signed on the dotted line over $10 million in today's money in exchange for the powdered juice. But then news came from Europe. Now the war against Germany is won. The war had ended, and with it, the Army's orange juice contract. So Fox was left with a factory, but no customer. And he worried that finding a new customer might be difficult, because the powder he had been making... Frankly, it just smelled like crap about half the time. And that's when Fox heard about the new cutback technology— he realized maybe he could pivot to selling canned frozen concentrate. In 1946, his company became the first to sell the new canned frozen concentrate. It hit the shelves as a product called Minute Maid. And OJ industry guys at the time thought that this was going to be big. The head of the Citrus Commission apparently predicted that this new juice would start raking in money for OJ makers. Because, and I quote here, The housewife is generally becoming more and more allergic to preparing foodstuffs, regardless of how little effort is involved. And adding water to a can was certainly easier than juicing by hand. But it wasn't a great seller from the get-go because there was a huge learning curve when Minute Maid first hit the market. Here's Fox's Sun Blitz again. Frozen foods were just beginning, frozen peas and beans. That a housewife could understand. Yes, because she's smart, her family can enjoy a complete meal as fresh as the day it was frozen, at any time and on but a moment's notice. This other frozen product, this orange stuff, people didn't know what it was. And the idea of taking three cans of water and mixing it with orange paste and having something was was very foreign. There goes Mrs. Housewife puzzling OJ makers again. And Fox didn't just need to teach her to buy a can of frozen juice. She also had to remember to store it in the freezer, which was not like the other new canned foods at the time. And I can remember stories coming home where women would get it home not realize it had to be kept frozen, stick it in the cabinet and forget about it. And all of a sudden it would ferment, explode and make a heck of a mess. 
Those first few years on the market, Minute Maid was losing hundreds of thousands of dollars. And remember, they'd built this whole plant down in Florida and then lost their army contract. So they really had to figure out how to sell this stuff to consumers if they wanted to stay afloat. Jack Fox realized that meant he had to do some educating. So just like those orange growers mailing out complimentary juice extractors, he sent Minute Maid straight into American homes for free. I have a clear memory of this. I think I was, what, six or seven by that time, riding around the car with him on the weekend as he'd go up and, you know, ring a doorbell and knock on somebody's door and explain what it was and go in and mix it up for these ladies. The president of Minute Maid was not above some grassroots door knocking. He'd drive around his neighborhood in Hingham, Massachusetts, and try to teach these housewives to buy canned frozen Minute Maid juice instead of squeezing it fresh. And this is where that spreading charm that Blitz joked about comes in. His dad was a great salesman, and he actually got plenty of housewives on board. But Minute Maid was still a local product, and it wasn't selling enough to make a profit. I mean, there were some hard, hard times. They were, you know, running out of dough. Fox managed to get in front of a group of venture capital investors, and apparently it was a comedy of errors. He's running on empty after a sleepless night, and he strolls into the firm's office in New York's Rockefeller Center. Walks into the boardroom with a a commercial-sized can of the product, forgetting a can opener, (laughs) forgetting a jug in which to mix it up with, finally gets a pair of pliers and a screwdriver and mangles this can open. (laughs) Lucky for Fox, the product spoke for itself. When the board members got a taste, they were impressed enough to open their purses. And even more crucially, they started talking up the juice in their elite social circles. Like one day, one of the investors went golfing with Bing Crosby, and he said... Hey, Bing, what do you think about advertising for Minute Maid? The company didn't have enough to pay him for the ads, but it could offer him cheap stock options. What was it, 20,000 shares at 10 cents a piece? And in exchange, millions of listeners all over the country heard Bing plugging Minute Maid on his radio show five days a week. Orange juice that's fresh and fine, Minute Maid. People listened to it, and people liked it, and they thought Bing Crosby owned the company. And that was fine with everybody at Minute Maid. They never corrected anyone. Never. Within four months, Minute Maid stock had shot from $0.10 to $9.50 a share. But that success attracted competition. Other brands saw Fox making good money, and soon an entire industry of companies had cropped up concentrating on, well, concentrate. Snow crop frozen orange juice. Orchard fresh and delicious. To stay ahead, Fox had to convince consumers that Minute Maid was better than the rest. In newspaper ads and jingles, he started pushing it, as the highest quality stuff on the market. Minute made orange juice is better for your health. Yes, Minute made orange juice is better for your health. And it was, became sort of a hallmark of his. How do you take something that is essentially a commodity and charge a two and three penny premium for it because it's better than the next guys? It's the best there is. And you know why? Because Minute Maid really does it right. They use the best oranges so they get the best juice. 
ads in a 1950 newspaper told consumers, Minute Maid may cost a penny or two more than cheaper grades, but millions of smart shoppers know it's worth it in flavor and freshness. Penny for penny, you get more of these precious vitamins and minerals. Vitamin C, vitamin A, vitamin... It was vitamin C was good for you. It was a sunshine product. It was healthy, 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 healthy stuff. No other frozen orange juice offers proof of these results. All of this marketing of Minute Maid as the freshest frozen juice around, well, it was working. In 1954, Minute Maid bought Snowcrop, one of its biggest frozen concentrate competitors. The next year, the Orlando Sentinel published a full-page profile on Minute Maid's success called Fox Wouldn't Fail. But that same year, down the road, the Tampa Bay Times was publishing its own full-page story. It was about a local juicer whose production line could supply, quote, pure juice 12 months a year. And that was going to become a problem for Minute Maid. You see, unlike Minute Maid or Snowcrop or anything else on the market, this new company wasn't relying on frozen concentrate at all. It was started by a guy named Anthony Rossi. He reminded me of a giant kid. He just really was kind of like pure in heart, honestly. This is Teresa Mosier. She's the grandniece of Anthony Rossi, or Uncle Nino, as she calls him. And she remembers him as this larger-than-life relative. At weekly family dinners, he'd crack himself up cutting oversized slices of pie for the women in the family and tossing the salad with dramatic flair. And he always put way too much salt and the olive oil and the vinegar. And then usually while he's tossing the salad, he would sing an Italian opera song, La Donna Immobile. He was like the great uncle, literally, that would just give us passes to Disney World. And, you know, of course, orange juice, like, was in our fridge all the time. Like Jack Fox, Anthony Rossi's interest in orange juice was accidental. After a stint as a machinist and then a cab driver, he wound up in Florida operating a fruit business. So that was like him packing citrus sections that he would ship off in jars to restaurants. The Waldorf Astoria is from what I remember him saying was like their biggest client. And then also packaging citrus, like oranges and grapefruits, just as gift boxes and shipping it off around the United States. Rossi was making good money, especially with high-paying clients like New York's Waldorf Hotel. But he quickly noticed a flaw in his process, one that required a creative solution. He had to buy the oranges by the truckload And so all the smaller oranges he couldn't use in the gift boxes. And that's when he started trying to figure out what to do so that he wouldn't have all this waste. And that's when he came up with the idea of juicing them. At first, Rossi was just juicing his little leftover oranges, the runts of the litter, and selling the drink around his home in Palmetto, Florida. When he started selling the juice, Tropicana juice was delivered in bottles by the milkman when he delivered the milk. You've heard that name before, Tropicana. And the reason that you know it, even if you don't live in Palmetto, Florida, is because Rossi started experimenting with how to preserve his juice so that he could ship it all over the country. Here's Alyssa Hamilton again, the author of Squeezed. They developed a method where you're heating it at a very high temperature for a very short period of time. And that's why it's called flash pasteurization. Pasteurization just like the dairy industry was using to preserve milk. Why was it a big deal when pasteurization was applied to orange juice? 
the convenience aspect. You didn't have to go through you know, that hassle of taking out the can from the freezer and putting it into a fridge, you know, that's a lot of work. (laughs) With flash pasteurization, Rossi heated the juice to a really high temperature for a short amount of time, rather than letting it cook down like concentrated Minute Maid. It killed the bacteria while still keeping the juice tasting fresh. And Rossi didn't just stop at pasteurization. He kept on inventing new methods of juice processing and transportation to take Tropicana to the next level. He developed these special refrigerated trucks when refrigerated transport was still new technology. He made a glass bottling system so he could ship his juice up and down the East Coast. He even bought his own ship, the SS Tropicana. It was huge. I've seen pictures of him standing in front of the ship. It was big. He even launched a Tropicana juice train. And what's crazy about it is that Rossi only had a third grade education, but he was such a natural innovator that he just kept on developing all this infrastructure that would make Tropicana what it is today. The refrigerated ship, people thought that was crazy. The engineers thought it was insane. Um, The pasteurization, any of these things. He would design equipment and he would explain the process to them. I mean, he was just a man that didn't take no. Rossi was ahead of his time. Concentrate may have been dominating the market at first, but that was changing. In the eyes of OJ makers, their 1950s housewife trope was becoming a 1970s working woman who didn't have time to waste turning concentrate into juice. Because today, who has time to squeeze oranges? New Tropicana home-style orange juice. And that wasn't lost on the folks in the freezer section. Here's Alyssa Hamilton again. Minute Maid was quick to realize how important convenience was to consumers. And so they started to reconstitute their orange juice concentrate for consumers. Here's what that meant. Minute Maid kept on making its frozen concentrate. And some of it was sold as is, in its little frozen cans just like before. But some of it was poured into huge vats at the Minute Maid factory, mixed with water, heated to kill any bacteria, and then sold in a refrigerated carton right alongside Tropicana's pasteurized juice. And that method of making juice was a lot cheaper than what Tropicana was doing. Because in order for Tropicana to have fresh juice to pasteurize year-round, it needed to freeze a ton of juice. Frozen slabs of freshly squeezed orange juice. So you can imagine the storage that that would take. Minute Maid's frozen concentrate was way more compact. That made it seven times cheaper to store and distribute. So when Minute Maid's reconstituted juice sidled up next to Tropicana on grocery store shelves... That's when big decisions had to be made on the part of the pasteurized juice producers because the reconstituted juice is much less expensive to produce. If that wasn't bad enough for Tropicana... In the early 1980s, Florida was hit with a series of cold spells, which destroyed the orange groves. Minute Maid could just import frozen concentrate from overseas, but Tropicana had no choice but to hike up the prices of the little juice that it had left. In 1985, Tropicana's president called a meeting. The mission at hand? Figure out what to do about their expensive juice. As far as he saw it, there were two options, and he asked his executives which way to go. Should they stop the pasteurization process altogether and move to frozen concentrate and reconstitute it for the consumers, or should they try and come up with a way to convince consumers that this is a better product to pay more for it? 
Their decision would change the way we look at orange juice. That's after the break. Many people are stuck at home, including us at America's Test Kitchen. Welcome to America's Test Kitchen at home. It's a good day today. Just gonna put this in our food processor and buzz it for five to seven pulses until it's coarsely chopped. <laughs> I'm gonna plug it in too, that's always good. And again, things may catch on fire, it happens. The power went out, we broke some dishes, and the lights are flickering. Which means a lot of us are spending more time in our kitchens. Upgrade your kitchen with Kohler's new Crew Touchless Kitchen Faucet. It turns on with a simple wave of your hand. Its innovative and discreet technology activates the faucet instantly and reliably. It's clean, sophisticated, and most importantly, hygienic. If you're cooking at home more than ever, you might as well enjoy it. Learn more at Kohler.com. For 30 years, OXO has made thoughtfully designed kitchen tools to make every day better. And senior product manager Jamie Levy says the new OXO Brew 8-cup coffee maker can make your coffee better, too. We take so much pride in the work we do here, the thought we put into our products, the products we put on the market. The feature that is designed to allow you to brew into a mug is really a great feature. It's nice to be able to brew directly into your mug and you don't have to like hack the machine to be able to make that work. It actually was designed to allow that. Brew a cup right into your cup with a single serve setting on OXO Brew's new eight cup coffee maker. Shop OXO Brew products at OXO.com slash brew. That's OXO.com slash brew. OXO, better guaranteed. Hi, Proof listeners. The holiday season is here, and that means it's cranberry season. Today, I'm calling my America's Test Kitchen colleague, Brian Roof, to find out how he plans to use cranberries this year. Hey, Brian. Hey, Bridget, how's it going? <laughs> Good. So, Brian, what's on your cranberry lineup this year? This year for cranberries, I'm doing a cranberry orange olive oil cake. Ooh, that sounds good. It's a delicious, tender cake, sweet buttercream, and kind of a sweet, tart cranberry curd. You get a nice tartness, but there's sugar and there's orange in there to balance it out. It's something about it really sings against the buttercream. Bring together ingredients that make your ocean spray cranberries sing. For more information and recipes, visit Oceanspray.com. We're back. When Minute Maid started giving Tropicana a run for its money in the refrigerated section, Tropicana's president called together his best and brightest minds and asked them, should we switch over to make juice reconstituted from concentrate or somehow convince people to pay up for pasteurized. Chip Bettle was in the room that day. He was Tropicana's senior vice president of technology, in charge of quality and research and development. It wasn't really a confrontational meeting or anything like that. It was a seminal meeting in that the direction of the company changed. It may not have been a blowout screaming match, but there were two clear camps at the negotiating table that day. The first was the old-timers, hired by Anthony Rossi. So you had a group of people who were experts at purchasing fruit and squeezing fruit into orange juice and storing it uh, and doing the quality control. And then there were the people like Betel, who'd been brought in under new leadership. The new school of people who sold branded goods. 
And like any group faced with this sort of changing of the guard. They coexisted uh, <laughs> with some difficulty in the beginning. Bettel and his fellow newbies came from big-name companies. And these young guys all recognized the power of branding. They thought, this high price isn't a problem. It's something we can lean into. They told the president, let's try to convince people that our product costs more because it's higher quality or premium. If that fails, we can always pivot to reconstituted juice later on. So you have to position it as a premium product. You have to price it as a premium product. And you have to actually deliver a premium product. And um, that's what we did. They left the meeting with a mission. Bettel and his team would tinker with the tech and try to make an even better product, while the marketing team would think of creative new ways to sell it. And that meant positioning the juice as a fresh-from-the-orange health drink. And sometimes this OJ tech mission and the marketing mission would go hand-in-hand. They look kind of like teardrops. He's talking about pulp cells. Betel figured out how to extract them from oranges so Tropicana could sell juices with all levels of pulpiness, which meant more options for Mrs. Housewife. She'd pick up two, one for the old man who wants a high pulp and one for the little kid that didn't like pulp. And so you end up selling more orange juice. But there were a ton of other changes to the -the behind-the-scenes tech that didn't mesh with the plan to market OJ as an all-natural juice. Bettel's team developed new packaging to extend shelf life. Not only did that extend the shelf life, but it also made the juice very much fresher tasting. They figured out the precise amount of time to expose the juice to air. You need seven minutes of oxygen exposure and then you stop it. So they could release the enzymes in the fruit for just long enough without the flavor fading. It had a a very signature flavor. We used to call it the pure premium bite. It would wake you up in the morning because it made your cheeks pucker together. They upgraded that homemade equipment Anthony Rossi invented back in the day and set a new industry standard in technology. We made a new product or a new package every 90 days for 10 years. It was a blistering pace. All of these tweaks, according to Betel, were totally above board. It was not an artifact of processing. It was as understanding nature and then unlocking nature's secrets. But on the marketing side, some of these tweaks made things a little more complicated because all of Betel's changes to make that juice taste premium, they took it farther and farther away from the original orange. But you can't talk about it because um, if you do, then you're talking about processing a natural product and you can't do that. So you have to be very subtle about it. The processors are trying to convince you that this is a fresh, straight-from-the-tree product. Alyssa Hamilton again. She says the big change after that 1985 Tropicana meeting was the approach to OJ branding. All ready-to-serve orange juices start out equal. Most brands take out nature's water to form a concentrate, then put water back in. But there's one brand that doesn't. They came up with a term not from concentrate. Not made from concentrate. Nothing's ever added. One of Tropicana's big images is the orange with the straw punctured into it as if it's a, that's all you're getting. Another Tropicana ad was nothing added, nothing removed. With nothing added, nothing taken away. And then there's a coil of an orange, as if the only thing that they're removing is the skin of the fruit. Tropicana tastes so fresh, you'll swear you squeezed it yourself. Squeeze me a glass of Tropicana. Squeeze me a glass of Tropicana. 
squeeze from fresh oranges. It sounds like freshly squeezed to the consumer, you know, running through the supermarket and seeing that on a label, but it's not the same as fresh squeeze. Tropicana put out pamphlets like A Consumer's Guide to Orange Juice that ranked different types of juice, labeling pure pasteurized as, quote, closest to freshly squeezed. They worked with Leo Burnett, the advertising agency that invented mascots like Tony the Tiger and the Pillsbury Doughboy. They were fantastic. They came up with the um, palm tree shadows going over the New York skyline. That was part of the Florida mystique. Feel the freshness. It's pure Tropicana. Tropicana Pure Premium, not from concentrate juice sales, exploded. Over the next five years, the company's profits nearly tripled. By the end of the 80s, for the first time in history, pasteurized juice sales surpassed sales of frozen concentrate. Chip Bettle remembers the moment they found out. We had a great big party when the lines crossed. I could be wrong, but it, we were introducing Tropicana Twister. More intriguing flavors than Tropicana Twister, like orange, strawberry, banana. And Chubby Checker was the entertainer. You know, let's twist again and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it was a toga party. <laughs> it was raucous, good time. Lots of orange juice poured. Uh, as a mixer. <laughs> In taste tests, consumers were picking not from concentrate juice over an identical from concentrate drink, saying that they thought it was more natural and healthier for their families. Betel and the new branding guys at Tropicana had proven they were right. The old-timers were that uh, orange juice is orange juice. And because of the FDA rules on the definition of orange juice, you can't really change orange juice. And it turns out that that's not true. That's because the FDA rules set out in that D.C. courtroom back in the 60s, they left a lot to be desired. What do you think she tells her family this is? Back when government regulators gathered OJ industry bigwigs to hammer out the do's and don'ts of making orange juice, they focused on two things, what you were allowed to do to the juice itself and what you could say about it while you were selling it. When it came to the first question, the rules of juice making, they left with a general consensus. The spirit of the regulation basically was that whatever you lose during processing, you can add back. So, for example, if you're making concentrate, you lose a lot of liquid and flavor when you boil the juice down. So, when you're reconstituting that concentrate so that it's ready to serve, you should be allowed to add back liquid and orange essence. The problem was, those guys in the courtroom didn't anticipate how far the tech would evolve. Remember, this was before Chip Bettle's team was experimenting with things like pulp levels and maximum juice freshness. And since then, the processing has only gotten more advanced. Like, to make pasteurized juice nowadays, you store it in these million-gallon storage tanks, and you strip it of oxygen. And when you do that, you also strip it of all its flavor-providing chemicals. So orange juice scientists, the next generation of chip bettles, they started adding in these things called flavor packs. To make it taste fresh, because otherwise the juice coming out of these tanks would have no taste of orange. It would just taste like sugar water. Flavor packs are made up of a bunch of aromatic compounds or flavors. Recipes vary. Minute Maids apparently taste like candy. But you wouldn't know any of this by looking at the label on a juice carton. 
That's because of the second decision that came out of the hearings, which was about what you were and weren't allowed to say when marketing orange juice. And they settled on the rule that as long as you were only adding back flavors that came from an orange, essence from parts like the peel, you didn't need to write that on the packaging. Because as far as Mrs. Housewife was concerned, if it came from an orange, that was all you needed to know. Their argument for why they don't have to label the addition of these flavor packs is because technically it's derived from the orange. And meanwhile, they're adding back something that doesn't exist in nature. You feel a truthful statement would mislead the consumer. I'm quite sure it would. Orange juice makers decided Mrs. Housewife didn't want or need all the details. And whether or not that's the case, it's how the boundaries were drawn. But those lines stayed pretty blurry. Like, you couldn't write fresh squeezed on a carton of juice that had been processed, but that just meant savvy juice salesmen had to think of another term that would fly, like squeezed from fresh oranges. Tropicana Pure Premium Orange Juice has only one ingredient. So Not from concentrate has been marketed as a simple, fresh, less processed product, and it is clearly a highly engineered product. The hearings were meant to protect the public from being misled by manufacturers. But in the end, they just meant manufacturers had to get creative. And labeling their juice not from concentrate, pushing it as a healthy food choice for you and your family, that was all part of the game. I do think a lot of where we find ourselves in terms of the advertising blitz and this constant push and pull against industry to be honest, date back to this idea of this conception of the consumer as Mrs. Housewife who was simply unable to understand complex processing procedures and kind of snowballed from that. If you'd been at those hearings in the 60s, what do you think they should have done? If it was Mrs. Housewife, as their survey said, if it was the woman of the household who was buying orange juice, have her there rather than spend 3,000 pages trying to decide what she thought orange juice was. <laughs> Ask her directly. Don't try, <laughs> don't try and figure it out yourself. The few women who did testify at the hearings were largely ignored. There was a nutrition professor who took the stand and argued that as consumers relied on more and more processed foods, there needed to be detailed labels so people could make a, quote, intelligent choice among orange and orange juice products. Another woman representing the Federation of Homemakers said, quote, we feel it is our right to have true freedom of choice in the product we buy. Obviously, we cannot have choice unless we have adequate labeling. Decades later, this is still something consumers are asking for. In the past few years, both Coke and Pepsi, which now own Minute Maid and Tropicana respectively, have been parties in class action lawsuits which argued that their juice labels were deceptive because they didn't list artificial flavor ingredients. Neither company responded to a request for comment on this story. At the end of the day, there's just a lot more to orange juice than some Florida growers juicing their oranges. But that idea doesn't sell. Natural freshness, purity, straight from the orange goodness, that's what juice makers think people want to buy. 
But after years of being peddled free juice extractors, listening to celebrities croon about this vitamin-packed health drink, the consumers have been telling those OJ makers what they want. And that's not being treated like Mrs. Housewife anymore. Thanks to Julia Press for reporting this story. If you like Proof, then be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you'll get new episodes as soon as they drop. Hey, and while you're there, why not leave us a rating or write a review for us? It really helps people find the show. Proof is hosted and produced by me, Bridget Lancaster. Our executive producer is Caitlin Kelleher. Sarah Joyner is our managing producer. Associate producer, Caroline Rickert. Scoring, sound design, and mixing by Matt Boynton of Ultraviolet Audio. Fact-checking by Angela Yang. Brian Campbell of Signal Sounds composed our theme music. Additional music by Kyle Forrester and Jordan Pearson. Post-production supervisor is Hen Margolis. Our production manager is Diane Knox. Jack Bishop is Chief Creative Officer of America's Test Kitchen. David Nussbaum is our CEO. And thanks again to our sponsors, Kohler, OXO, Ocean Spray, and NakedWines.com. Proof is a production of America's Test Kitchen.